Ladies and gentlemen, we are about to sit down for our next table read, and I feel I should warn you, this show is not suitable for children. Listener discretion is advised. And now, we ask you to take your seats and keep your minds open, for the table reading is about to begin. Ladies and gentlemen, I humbly welcome you to another entry into The Table Read, a podcast where I sit down and give a reading with one of the horror community's most celebrated, up-and-coming, prominent, and interesting horror writers of that chosen week. And this week we have someone that I think uh, has been a long time coming. He is known for a vast compendium of work over on the subreddit no sleep that spans over the last four years he is uh known for breaking your hearts and making you want to throw up possibly in the same sentence uh he is an incredibly gifted author on the subreddit he is known as byfell's disciple but today we know him by his pen name pf mcgrail and for ease we're gonna call him patrick patrick how are you doing i'm doing great tj thanks for having me Oh, not a problem, not a problem. This is our second uh, time doing this now. Um, we had a uh, an interview back in, uh, gosh, must have been, was it April or May? I think we had it. Time gets weird when we're in... Uh we're in the current world mm-hmm. so it's yeah i think i think we would have looked at october and or september and thought like man we'll be done with this by now but nope the uh the, the backstreet boys tour as they're calling it well you don't want to call it the pandemic that's still going on unfortunately but you know what we we make it work as best we can and um i think i think we uh you know we're gonna we're gonna you're gonna have a good time and um we we discussed a lot of different things that what well, i think like the listeners will find interesting but uh since that time there's been a lot of really interesting developments on your end. You've, you've created a few new, really interesting series concepts that we're going to touch upon. Um, but before we get there, um, let, let's go back to the beginning of P.F. McGrail. So uh, how long have you been writing for in your life? Um, so I actually put up on my subreddit some of my very earliest writings. Um, the, the earliest writings I have a recording of uh, come from when I was six years old. I've got a couple of three-sentence stories that uh, my brother framed for me when he found them in the attic. Um, and they're, they're about as good as you'd expect. So most of my life have been creating stories of some sort, even if I'm just letting them play out in my head and using them for my own entertainment. I didn't really get out much beyond an academic setting or sharing it in a creative writing class or anything like that um, until 2017, because I loved writing these stories down. Um, I love sharing them with those who might read them, but I never thought it would be more than a handful of people. And then I came to um, No Sleep and No Sleep's just, I, 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 I love the audience there. I, I love being part of the readership. I love being part of the writership. Um, and ever since 2017, early in the year, um, I've been uh, sharing stories there pretty regularly. Yeah, you're you're a prominent figure on there. Um, you know, they have that a, like sort of one of those names that I'm sure when uh, when writers uh, go on the subreddit to put their own story out there, they fear the name Bifel's disciple. Uh, because you know, eighty percent of the time, boom, that's going to go straight to the top spot. And you know, that's that's an interesting thing that you know for people who, who either go there regularly or writers there regularly know this, but people who don't, 
um, you're routinely competing for a uh, a top spot on that subreddit because the way that it works is to maximize your story's reach, meaning you know how many people will actually see it. Uh, you need to really get in that that top spot. Even you know one, two, three, four um, are good, but the number one is where you're going to really get that mass exposure. And so there are certain authors that when their name shows up, uh, they're statistically more likely to get a successful story. And I have no doubt people are terrified whenever you post now. It's, uh, it's an interesting way of uh, looking at it. I, I definitely don't want people to feel like they, they need to be terrified of it. Um, what, one of the great things is how much everyone really does support each other. And what, what, one of the yeah. things that makes No Sleep so cool is that it could be your first story ever. And you could you could absolutely blow past somebody who's got name recognition if you've got the story that people like that day. So, I mean, uh, I, I, I really do think it's cool how people who are out there for the first time who don't necessarily have a huge audience can go out there and have their voice heard. It's it's interesting. We we see it all the time where, you know, um sometimes there'll be a writer that hasn't had anything go up for a long time. And like they'll they'll do like, you know, thirty stories that all do, you know, sixty, seventy upvotes, and then they'll just do one and it's at the right time, the right title, the right situation, and boom, it's like, you know, three, four, five, six thousand upvotes. And it's cool to see. Um but certainly you have developed um a knack for knowing the audience very well. You have that that elusive blueprint in terms of creating a successful story and i have no doubt that there is a sizable portion of the listeners today who are either coming from your subreddit um r slash by first disciple which has over ten thousand members which is just insane um to the people that you know perhaps uh, read my work and people who just consume horror in general and they'll be wondering you know how do i get a story to do well on no sleep and you know, I think it's something I probably asked you when I first met you about a year ago when I was coming back into the fold. You know, I've been on that subreddit for nine years and things have changed so much. And you have adapted to that very well, I think. Yeah, and I, I think that um, uh, whatever whatever there is to learn, uh, you've definitely been um, putting up a series of amazing stories. Right, there. I, I do have to say I really loved your, um, uh, your series about fighting the – with the uh the, the nfc tournament one yes where, yeah, where yeah. real people Still fight out. fight the baba yaga and they <laughs> and they um deal with nightmares that come out and then they gotta they gotta screw over each other and 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 it, it's 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 a lot of fun it really is a lot of fun to read and the the poor the poor um narrator who is finding Sounds himself funny, in the yeah. middle of it and it was was just saying well you know i i, I don't really want to be here but I, i'm in the thick of it now <laughs> um that was a lot of fun and uh, obviously that 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 series did real well um so yeah it's still going on um ironically we're we're dating the podcast here it's um it's it's a thursday in september and uh as soon as we're done here it's 6 35 in the morning uh because your boy tj does not stop for anything uh i'll be putting up the next part We're, we're near the end of it now but yeah that's that's it's been a lot of fun doing that but that came by almost taking the blueprint you've laid down in that you have to find a unique blend between um, a uh, and I hate saying this, a clickbait title because obviously a lot of people who do the YouTube narrations, their fans will be like, "What well, are these titles? Are so stupid!" And they're not wrong. No, no self-respecting writer wants to have a title like "I just I am this, that, and the other," and you won't believe what I just discovered. We don't want to sound like we're BuzzFeed uh, article peddlers, but it's it's down to what will entice 
today's readers. And uh, you can gamble on an obscure title uh, like The Void in the Dark, but it doesn't mean it's going to work. And nine times out of ten, it just doesn't. So when I did you know that series um you know even though the actual title is the nfc the nightmare fighting championships uh, the title for no sleep is i'm a commentator for a tournament of nightmares and then the back half of that will be the name of the chapter like the only thing they fear is her or um sometimes it comes down to luck or whatever because again you're, you're trying to entice them and i got that by looking at stuff you'd done so you know when when you started um in 2017 so four years ago you you tried a few single titles, like words, like a few like basic lines, but then your success came very quickly because you started to notice that, you know, oh, I need to kind of adapt my work to make sure that discerning audiences pay attention, which is no different to journalism in that respect, you know, um, which, you know, when you look at tabloid journalism or articles, you know, they do top fives, top tens, and here's here's what's wrong with the game today. You know, that that's kind of n- no different for us, right? Right. Oh, that's exactly what it is. Um I don't like a lot of the titles that I give. Um, so when uh, when I collect my stories into a book, I, I go through and I, maybe half of them I go back and, and, and change to something that's more meaningful because, yeah, you just got to hold your nose sometimes and, and, and get the – you have to be as flashy as possible. And um, what the, the goal is once you get people to say, hey, well, you know, what, what's this about? Have the story stand for itself and and um either it does or it doesn't that's true for every story um but in the world of reddit you just you you you, uh, the title like the void and dark is it's not gonna grab people who are scrolling through a lot of titles it's just the nature of the beast yeah it's it's unfortunate but then you know you do you do get those sort of golden nuggets in there and i think like that that you know leads me on to my first question, my first, like, I guess, no sleep question is what was your first major success on no sleep? What, what story was it? And how did it feel to have that like first big jump up there? The first one that, um, that I had that, that, uh, that I was really excited about was I, I kind of clickbaited the title without necessarily realizing it. it's called, um, I think my parents were demon hunters and, um, it, it was, it was strange. Um, I remember posting it, going to bed, and then um, I woke up like five hours later, and I thought, "Well, I'll, I'll check to see how the story's doing right now." I'm not; I don't want to get up. I'm just curious. And then I looked around for it, and I was like, "Hang on, it's 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 sitting there in the top spot. How, how did that happen?" And I looked at the upvote count on, and I was it. It was it was a very surreal moment, and I was so blown away that I was lying in bed. I'm like, I, I just processing the fact that this many people are reading what I wrote. I can't even get back to sleep right now because I had spent my entire life thinking of stories that would be great to write one day, and thinking, well, it's 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 just for my own entertainment, a story I might write in my head, or maybe share with a couple other people in college. But I've always wanted to share with a mass audience, and then realizing that between when I had gone to bed and when I had gotten up, more people had read that story than probably had ever read all of my work in my entire life up to that point was something that really took a lot to wrap my head around. And it was, it was just so, it was so exciting to know that, Hey, I've always wanted to just share a story with somebody and have people listen and to know that people are saying back, yeah, we want to hear what you have to say. 
um that was that was a cool moment it really was it's it's very validating as well when you know uh i'm i know a lot of writers who don't share their work publicly who i think are just absolutely out of this world good and you know you think to yourself like how validating is it when that work goes out there and you've had all this self-doubt all these worries i mean some people don't do rewrites but you know i try to do a couple and you're like oh it's going to be terrible and then you go out there and obviously i should note that you know that the actual exposure of the work is not validation like you know validation is really down to the person's enjoyment but to see thousands of people liking it and bringing up their own ideas for law and head canons and theories it's so gratifying in this un unquantifiable way it's why people find it hard to leave no sleep because you you know it's the largest horror forum in the world and it's very hard to get that anywhere else you know when you release a book you'll get a more widespread kind of reaction but you won't get it immediately the way you do with no sleep and that is such a it's a, it's almost like a high right and i think i think that's that's a real sort of like um thing you'll be very careful of so since that time you've now gone on your karma on not that this obviously matters to many people outside of like people who read it but like your karma is three hundred thousand, which is just it's it boggles the mind that it's like up that level but that's a testament to how many stories you've released like i, I think you must be nearly at or over 100 now on reddit i would have thought uh total stories posted you mean mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. actually i i have okay so i have a list of all my stories um listed alphabetically and i can it, it's got um Every hyperlink has a number by it, so I can just scroll down to the end of the story and tell me how many posts I I would have. think you must be near 100. Um, I scroll down. I have 412 hyperlinks. But th- that includes that includes multiple parts of the same story. So <laughs> I was not even close. Wow. 400 So so you've written 412 stories in four years uh yeah about three and a half years um i guess uh and that also includes short scary stories so and, and that's still that's but that's still that's still you know an ungodly output you know like i know i know you and i have worked together before but like you you tend to try and make sure you post like once every five days or so right give or take at the yeah uh, yeah. yeah yeah that that was that that was strange to see that uh it resonated that much and i i definitely think um, Hannah posted her series, the tenant survival guide before, before mm. mine. Um, and, uh, I, I, I think she was like, she, she was, she was definitely before mine. Um, and Gabby was also, I think just before mine. So, I mean, I can't take credit. I think it was the same month, I believe, like with Gabby, I think, I think it was like, you know, she was at the beginning. You were at the yeah, end, yeah. end of the um, month, I think. So it, it was cool to be in the beginning of that, but I, 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 um, I definitely can't take credit for for coming up with the, with the idea. I, I I would see myself more as a coattail writer, but what one of <laughs> one of the um one of the really fun things about that is um the first part was kind of a, a quick write and uh I came up with this list of rules and that was not planned out. It was like what might be weird and creepy? This might be weird and creepy. This might be weird and creepy. <laughs> I got to one rule. I got to rule number 7. And I just said this rule is on a need to know basis and I moved on. And I had this list of rules and then it was popular enough so that, so that I kept on coming back and I wrote like 15 parts to it, but just kind of organically all the different rules came back in a way that I never intended them to with that rule. Number seven, the need to know basis being one of the most important parts of the entire series. 
and and every everything w- went back and, and and was addressed in one way or another as part of this overarching theme that that I, I didn't plan at all and uh, I, I that was a lot of fun to watch the story kind of come together on its own. Right, and I think a lot of people resonated with that because the voice in in that series is very unique. And and for those um for those at home, like I don't want to I don't want to give too much away about that series because it's um it's still in my opinion like very very. Uh, immersive but it's you know the hospital's rules i think it embodies this ideology of how uh very terrifying a hospital can be at times it plays in that real fear of when we go to hospital it's very rarely you know for for positive things it's it's you know like a like a pre- like a pregnancy check or you know a good bill of health it's oftentimes for very morbid terrifying things and i think your series embodies that quite well oh. yeah i mean i i don't i'm glad i'm not a doctor because i know i'm not cut out for it uh, I, I guess one of the things that really echoed in my mind a lot is this idea that we all have days when we go to work and we're not on our A game. That's just part of being human. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I can't, uh, I can't imagine knowing that much is on the line every day and knowing some days you're just not going to be able to do your best and you have to have the mental strength to care enough to do your best, but be able to move past it when you don't. And that, um, that's an amazing it, it's it takes a very special person to be able to do that and uh, i'm very right, grateful right. for those people um and i recognize mm-hmm. that i'm not one of them I, I think i think that's a benefit of writing when you're older obviously like you know um you know you're you're a slightly older gent than myself but um you know we we've talked about how you only really got into writing you know like as in this capacity later in life and i think that comes with the security of knowing who you are what the work is like and the professionalism of that next level where it's like, you know what? Like, if you don't like it, it's there. I'm not changing it. And I think it's very easy in today's culture, especially with, you know, online work to want to revise, to cut, to change things at a whim. And I think it's really important um, that a writer understands and and, and appreciates their own self-worth and trusts themselves to see a work to the end. Um, you have to have the confidence in what you're doing. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with taking criticism. There's nothing wrong with someone going, oh, you know what? I don't like this. I hate this. And and if your editor certainly says it, that's fine. But if you get to a point where your work's out there, whether it's with a book, a publication, like a ta- uh, like a uh, columnist, um, or a release of a show, and it's done, accepting it's done is one of the best things you can possibly do. And I think that's a really important thing you get with age. I, one of the, yeah, um, and I also think one of the things with no sleep is it's constantly, well, what's next? Um, earlier this year, um, I had three stories in a row where the first part did really well. I was excited about it. And immediately my next part just crashed and burned. And the rest of the series yeah, was just in the that. gutter. Um, and it happened three stories in a row. And, you yeah. know, that's frustrating, but I still don't have any regrets about where the plot right. went. It, the story is what it is, and if it didn't, if it wasn't popular that day, I wasn't popular that day. It is. It is weird though. Like I mean, I was saying, you know, how the algorithm works is is not perhaps the most interesting conversation to have. But I will, I will say, like, you know, we talked about the nightmare fighting championships I've been doing, um, which is the longest thing I've ever done. It's at twelve parts right now, and it's probably going to be about fifteen when it's finished. And um, that did extremely well and is still doing extremely well. And that's very unusual because series is, we, we know they tend to drop off. Um, you know, uh, it started on three or 4,000 and then I was like, all right, it's going to, it's going to plateau around, you know, one, 1. 1.5, 2000. And bizarrely it dropped below a thousand for two or three parts. I had the Reddit ban issue because of the, 
outing of a certain individual uh no regrets there um and then when i came back um and i put the next part up and in fact the last two parts i've done have just exceeded everything before it except for like the first entry and and i'm now 10 parts in it's very weird like you can't predict how audiences or no sleep's going to be but it taught me that there is an ungodly amount of people who read your work that don't actually upvote and don't actually comment so like you it's almost like shadow people right um if if the work dips to 700 but your next one does 1.7k then you've got a thousand people that are probably going to see it but i just haven't bothered interacting with it and that could be very emboldening and also kind of terrifying i think kind of terrifying i think yeah but also you, you i mean your 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 nfc series what did i get the, the nfc right yes yeah yes. yeah um you you can't always predict it but you can it's only going to stay that strong if the story's strong in the first place so it's not in, entirely arbitrary so um if you didn't have something that people wanted to keep coming back to that that would be off the table so i mean you, you've got a you got a story that's got a following um and uh people are gonna love that and that just also to, to add on real quick what you said about we would probably don't want to get too much into the details of, of outing and, 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 and all that. But I, I do think that it is valuable for, for this, this concept of community to, to say that when, when there's somebody that might be being hurt, that we shouldn't be silent. And that even if we don't, even if we don't know what's going on, that there, there is a, there is a responsibility that I think everybody has, especially in a, as a place that can be as dangerous as the internet. Um, and you said no regrets, and I, I think there's that that's that's there's a lot to that. That's that's really admirable, and um, I guess we we can't really go down that rabbit hole. But well, we can't we can't go into a heavy detail. But like you know, I will never regret protecting and safeguarding uh, younger people. Never, um, and I will I will take as many emotional and physical blows as I need to in order to safeguard that those people. Like you know, um, I, as of right now, I'm still a moderator for the Little Sleep subreddit. I. I as the year goes on, I, I may end up uh, walking away with, with my schedule being what it is. But, you know, one thing as a former teacher as well now, uh, you know, that's that's something that I, I, I'm very proud of what I did uh, looking after young people. That that comes as safeguarding. And, you know, we are just volunteers. And I think a lot of people on No Sleep don't understand, um, you know, what we do is a volunteer position. We can't police um, private chats, you know, nor should we be allowed to see those. So if something's going on, we don't hear about it. And I think, you know, just as you said, it's just something worth just, just touching upon to say, like, if you're on that subreddit or if you're just on the internet, because the SCP Foundation had their own problem with um, issues of that nature. Um, and it's pervasive in all cultures. Uh, it's pervasive in all in all uh, sp- creative spaces. And all I can say and reiterate is if you hear something or you experience something, speak up and tell someone in a trusted position um and and try and put a stop to it there will always be at least one person that listens that's that's all we can really say you know yeah yeah it um as as much as there are people out there who would do terrible things to those who trust them um mm. i mean they're that's real horror right there that is like like to to bring this into cyclical nature that's true horror sometimes the things that we write will you know we'll go on about monsters in the dark and and uncaring gods and um things that pulled you under the bed but i i often think the most terrifying things in the world the things that keep me up at night are just ordinary human beings men who have the capacity to uh 
see a child walking down the street grab them and run off with them a mother who can you know um systematically murder her family in their sleep um you know jim jones who you know got 970 something people to drink the kool-aid that that's what's more terrifying to me than anything i could write yeah and i think two of the most powerful forces that we ever deal with are our ability to be horrible to each other and our ability to be good to each other and humanity i think is too immature to deal with either of those but we have to it's it's very important i think like it's it's almost um it's it's i think it's like very important that we address those things and it, and it leads me on to something else as well like when we're when we're writers um we imprint a lot of ourselves into our work it's something we, we can't help but do um and it's to varying degrees but do you ever find yourself imprinting things like um the, the natural questions a human being has like i mean this leads us into a, a really good story you just did about you know what happens to a human body when it falls off a building this idea of existentialism heaven and hell um the value of one's life did, did those questions and that conversation come from your personal beliefs on the afterlife and 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 whatnot or was it more of an open an open question from a character i spend uh i think a lot about where we are where we came from and where we're going and mm-hmm. It's an ongoing conversation that our species has with the world around us. Right. So there's a more than enough questions to put on the table. Well, if this, then that. Does this, what does this mean? What did that mean? What does it mean in terms of a greater idea? Mm-hmm. So there are, I think that the search for religion is not the search for answers, but the search for questions. And the more questions we ask, the more questions we have. So, there's more than enough questions out there to put on the table that if somebody's in a moment that's going to define the rest of their lives well what are the questions and what do they really mean now when things are at their most critical so yes there's there's some of the issues that come to mind for me the character that i wrote about in that story wasn't me is not where I am, but I think we've all dealt with heartbreak at certain times. We've all dealt with questions about what do we mean to the world and what does the world mean to me? So not entirely me, but sometimes the lines are pretty gray. Right. And I, it's, it's interesting because I had this conversation with Neon Tempo about what, you know, both myself and him are are atheists. And one of the most common questions being raised Catholic as well, myself um, one of the most common questions I would get from um, religious friends, both who are Muslim, uh, some who are Jewish and, and Catholic, and also from my, my old priest, was, do you not fear the idea of an absence of, of self when you're dead? And it's like, yes and no. Um, I think I don't know what happens. I think, you know, there's different kinds of maybe atheists out there. And maybe I'm more agnostic. I don't know. But I don't. I don't think I'm arrogant enough to fully know what happens afterwards, you know? And I think that's both terrifying and comforting. And it's something that kind of we we see in, in writing all the time, whether it's sometimes even romance novels talk about it, you know, but like in science fiction, fantasy and horror, certainly death is a really, really important part of that conversation um, because it's, it's depending on who you are, it's what inspires us. I mean, Dante Allegri's Divine Comedy is one of the greatest literary works of all time. And it is a fan fiction about going along to find the devil. And then God, it's. I've, I've never thought of the Inferno as fan fiction before, but I... it, it is. It is the first Jesus Christ fan fiction, and I, I, I'm, I, I read, 
I read in um, Inferno when I was uh, in, in Catholic school. Um, and I love it, but like, I, the older I got, I was like, ah, oh, Dante was just a really big Jesus stan, huh? Like, you know, him and him, I mean, he gets Virgil, one of the greatest poets of his time who he admired, to fit, he, he literally self-inserts himself into that universe so he can travel with Virgil and see all these people. You know, his enemies are burning in, a, in, in, in sin. Um, you know, he, it's his own interpretation. It's a beautiful interpretation. But I think what we forget is Dante Degree was just a man. A man with his own interpretations and time has made that more legendary. You know, I, I hope one day, I really hope one day that, you know, um, some of the stuff you've done, like um, I Smelled Everyone, will one day be regarded as like this seminal work by the legendary P.F. McGrail. And then like, you know, there's like an AP history teacher who's going, some say they said that P.F. McGrail can still smell them all. <laughs> and, you know, just... And if it- if I get remembers for something, I, I don't want it to be about the creepy man in the mall who's smelling things. That's, <laughs> I mean, it's, I, it's, you know, but but to, to bring that back around, like the idea of death for me is, um, I brought it to my work before, and I always make it very colorful, and, and I make the afterlife seem quite nice because that's my interpretation. But you know, the idea of falling asleep and not waking up. And being absent of all self is also death in its in its own right. So I, I found that the, the, this story about what happens when a body falls off the building amazing. And and we talked about this off camera, but one of the opening lines was, um, I don't have the courage to put these words into feelings, but it doesn't make them any less true. When you die, you'll mean nothing to me. And obviously that's about the main character having a, a really difficult breakup. And then when he's looking to end his life, um, the entity that, you know, and again, it's in the writer's mythos, please go and check it out. But this is um, a Lovecraftian thing in Nyarlathotep, who's this form, formless, shape-shifting, otherworldly being that comes across and goads him into this idea of, like, you know, what it would be like. And I, I just felt, when I when we were discussing it, I felt like some of those concerns about perhaps you have of the afterlife seeped into there. Would you say that's fair, or would you say you were completely disconnected? No, it's, it's definitely fair. Um, the the idea of what comes after, I think is, is pervasive in um, everything that we write it. Most cultures can go back and say like, well, we have this, this mythology of what the afterlife is. We, we still have a modern mythology. We are, our, our modern mythology is about Jedi's. Sometimes it's about hobbits. Sometimes it, it's about the Avengers. Sometimes our, we, we have a world culture in that we can share these ideas across the entire planet. It's still our mythology. It's still our way of creating legends that connect us and speak about these issues in a way that gives supernatural abilities to express our own frustration about not being able to control the world around us, but still takes the humanity that makes us good, makes us evil, makes us everything in between and injects it into that and has a way of having human humanity supersede circumstance by giving these fallible characters these incredible powers. It's the same thing as the stories that people were telling around the very first campfires. It's just done with a whole lot more fanfare now. So these these ideas are, are, are what drives us. It, we, we might not recognize them as such because when you're in the moment, when you're, when the first humans were at that campfire hearing the mythology, they didn't think it was some sort of weird, fantastical tale. They thought it was the story of the moment and, and felt the same things that we feel right now, because we're trying to, we're trying to control the narrative 
um, that we can't entirely control. And that does give us some ability to do so. Uh, yeah, it's it's we want to control uh, every part of our lives. We're micromanagers. And I think when you go, you know, you look up to God at that moment of absolute despair and you're like, you know what? I'm going to fucking jump off this building if you don't prove that you love me or, or you know, that, that there's something there. And and th- there's this, this almost like storybook moment of, oh, an angel comes down and pulls you away. But what if it doesn't? Like, what if, you know, it's equally as horrifying that there could be something that comes up from below to, to kind of goad you. But I think the sobering reality that nothing is there and that no one is going to do anything for you is just as horrifying. The absence of any intervention when a human being is at their lowest moment. And I think it doesn't make for a narratively interesting story as much as having something, you know, like, like a Nialathotep talk to you and give you these horrible truths. That's a far more interesting story. But, you know, it reminds me, when we were talking about it, it reminds me of this really powerful image of a, um, a starving African child. Um, and they're in the, they're in the, like, they're curled up on the ground and there's a vulture. Yeah. It's one of the most harrowing things I've ever seen. I remember the, the, uh, photographer killed himself. Yeah. He got the, the award, the Pulitzer. And I think it, it just, the guilt consumed him because he couldn't intervene. And it's like, but that's nature. Uh, that's that's oh, that's also nurture. Like to be very clear, like that is also down to extreme poverty that we, as a society, and 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 our governments and and the Western world could could fix. We could fix that. We could. We just don't. Um, but but the sense of nature is more that there's a, a one dying animal and another animal watching it. Like we're all we're all creatures in the end of the day. And what vultures will do is they will wait for anything anything they can have and i i just um, it's horrible because that's a it's a little boy um and it's just such a horrible thing and, and it's this finality of in that moment nothing nothing's going to stop it happening and that's terrifying you know that is true fear and it's something we we couldn't even paint that picture if we wanted to no it's yeah it is truly one of the most harrowing um, pictures ever taken yeah, but that's that's the sort of stuff that inspires me because it's like you know, that poor boy, or I, I think it was a boy, but that poor child and the thoughts their family must have had and the losses they must go through, you know, and, and, and that's, it's still the animal kingdom, but it's the animal kingdom to, to them because that's not how it would be. You know, in England, you just, you wouldn't see that. In the United States, you know, the animal kingdom would dictate a mountain lion might take a, a child or a bear might take a child. So there's still aspects of animals killing animals, but it's just very unique in that sense. But that story did extremely well. That was one of the more, most recent ones. Um, you've also, you're also no stranger to collaborations. And one of the ones you did, um, which is how you and I met was last year is the 26 card series. Um, tell us a little bit about that. Like what was the, what was the concept behind that and, and the execution of it? Yeah. So that, that, that's a lot of fun. I love, I love these huge collaborations. Um, yeah, the origins can go back to 2017 where somebody randomly said, Hey, you guys should do, um, a collaboration where each person takes a letter of the alphabet. A is for this, B is for that, C is for that. And I thought somebody should. And I thought I'm somebody. And then, so I organized that. And the next year I did another 26 person collaboration. And this year I was thinking, all right, how do I, how do I inject 26 into this? What, what's got, what's got 26. And after the alphabet, it can be, it can be a little bit tricky, but I thought, you know what? Deck of cards got 13 cards per suit. If we did, 13 red cards and 13 black cards. All right. What would be going on with that? And so this, this 
idea started to form in my mind of a story told by 13 people. If it's cards, it's going to be in Vegas. It's going to be this gritty underworld thing. But um, if everybody can breathe humanity into each one of these characters, these gritty, dirty, bad people and make them go, well, hang on. I can, I can see why a person might be driven to a certain point that we could really do something that would be, that would be a lot of fun. That would be uh, a hell of a lot of fun to deal with. And half the stories had to be very restrictive because half of them had to be part of a very specific um, narrative. But, and I, and I, I did one of those um, 13 stories. And one of the things I pointed out to people doing them is yes, it's restrictive. That doesn't mean it's not creative because you have to find a way to take a character, make them meaningful, give them a voice, give them, make them sympathetic, but not entirely good and not entirely bad. And these are your very strict boundaries. You've got to do it within, you know, these plot points have to happen. And then the other half took uh, people that, um, took those people and gave them backstories that were a lot more open-ended. And you did the guy number three, I believe. Uh, uh, yeah, I don't remember what I, I, I think he was a contract killer. If I yeah, yeah, that guy, he was, he was one of, uh, one of the darkest characters cause he, his whole, his whole deal was killing without mercy. And he, he was one of the most, um, per- pervasive in the entire, uh, series. And, um, it, it, it was, it was a lot of fun to watch what he did because he kept on coming up in different places. And, um, did you do the backstory? Did you do the uh so i remember when i wrote it you said that there wasn't a uh there was like wasn't a large framework and it was up to me what i did and i was like all right i'm gonna do a contract killer who's haunted by his victims um because obviously the challenge with this was that it's very it's stooped in realism there's nothing about this series that is unrealistic or fictitious in the way that you presented you know it doesn't come across like a the it was actually really weird for horror because it was still horror, but it was very noir horror. Right. Um, and, uh, that's why I loved the challenge of it. It's like, Oh, you know, cause I'm, I'm known for doing loads of fantastical dark fantasy horror. I was like, oh, okay, cool. Let's try to strip that back. Um, he fell in love. Um, and Mr. Sidhu was a handler who took him, uh, took his wife or t- took his partner who didn't know much about what he did. Um, and I think I left it on a cliffhanger of like, you know, he's, uh, he's got to try and get her back, but I think she's already dead. Um, and I think, I don't know, I don't know if I did much more about it than the backstory. I think I just left it very ambiguous. So someone else might have filled in those blanks for me. Well, where, where he came up a lot of the rest of the time was what basically he was, he was a terrible person. And um, so your story is the only one that kind of went against that narrative. So it was, um, I, 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 I really liked the job that you did with that because it, it would have otherwise made him just this inhuman monster because he never comes across as sympathetic again, but you read that story and uh, it just makes you kind of want to cry when you hear about how he got to that point. So, yeah, it's, it's because I think like you, you know, it's very easy for us to assume that every cruel person is just cruel in the inside out. And that's not always how it is. I think it's always good when you give an extra focal lens to uh, characters, you know, it's easy to make people one dimensional, and I think one of the biggest things I learned um, young, when I was much, much younger was never, ever use the phrase he said, she said, unless you follow that up with a, a facial expression or uh, an inflection of the voice or a body language piece. Because if it's just dialogue, even if that dialogue is incredibly well written and it's he said, she said, he shouted, she shouted, it doesn't, there's nothing there. 
um, you have to give that second dimension of of how they sound. The third dimension is is how they you know how they react to scenarios and how they behave in social situations. And it's like you're not necessarily crafting an entire human being because unless you're writing a novel, that's ridiculous. But it's a snapshot in the same way when you go through the street and you might bump into someone or you'll hold open the door for someone. You're interacting with them for all of 20 seconds. But in those 20 seconds, you see them, you hear them, you smell them. Um, well, apparently your characters do. Um, and, you know, uh, you get a good a good inflection of what they're like. And it reminds me of something my professor once told me, and it's the idea that every single person you see in your dreams is a real person. You cannot dream fake people. It's not possible. Our brain has a small part uh, in, in the back of our heads, which is designed to just remember facial expressions and faces. We can't create fake faces. We're not, we don't have the ability to do that. So when you dream of like this ideal woman or this ideal man or ideal animal, depending on your preference, although please don't interfere with animals, um, you know, like, but when you have that I- I- image in your head and uh, that person's real, it's just that you've seen them for maybe two seconds walking down the street or passing in the car. And I think, I think about that when I'm writing. And I think that was why I made that character like that. And I think a lot of the characters come across that way. Like Ace. Ace comes across that way. Um, and, and, you know, and, and the book is is so interesting in how it how it tells those stories. And you did half of it on No Sleep and the other half was on the novel, which is out now on Amazon. David uh, David Clark, he wrote the story of Ace. And I was just, I was really excited because I had this idea for how we might all come together. But um I had to hand off the first story to him and say, all right, well, I can describe what an idea might be like, but you got to take it and run with it. And uh, right. he wrote that first story about Ace. I was like, all right, you, you did it. You hit it. This this story's up and going. I'm, I'm excited. And it was just like, it was so fascinating in that respect. And, um, you know, there was such a murderous row of authors on that collaboration as well. Um, you know, there, there's some really, really, you know, great people that were involved in it. And I think the book reflects that. And um, uh, it was released earlier this year, correct? Yes. Uh, I forget exactly what month it was in. You know, I should know that because I was a part of it. But do you know when you get to a point where, like, you just lose track of time? It's terrible. Very much so. And and part of, part of uh, getting a book and getting it released is you, you think that, all right, I got that last 10% to go. And then <laughs> that last 10% is a, a static number no matter how much you get done. Yeah, I need to get my author's copy. You know, I like I completely realized, and I, I we were in a we were in the author's chat, and everyone was getting their copies. I was like, I don't think they got my address right, and they were like, "Did you pay for it?" And I'm like, "No." And they're like, "Well, you don't have it." Then I was like, "God damn, I need to remember to do that before I move. I need a copy." Yeah, it's it's it, it came together really well. The the cover, I really love. Um, it's such how it looks. Cover. Yeah, um, Taylor Tate does just she's she's done several covers um, for me and. They always, I mean, that, that's so important on Amazon, and they always do really mm-hmm. fun. It's she's doing this next one that's coming out, and uh, I'm excited. Let Let's talk about that. So you you're about to do your third your third story collection, um, which is uh, the no- notes from the man in your closet. Now that's due out um, next month, and um, you've got two prior collections, which are uh, Fifty Shades of Purple. Um, <laughs> <laughs> amazing name um and your dreams taste like candy now when we spoke before um obviously that that hasn't been released but we uh, we chatted about those two collections and what is the for the for the discerning reader who's going to go to amazon hopefully after this and check out those works what are the big differences between those three so like, if you were to summarize them so 50 shades of purple versus um your dreams taste like candy 
So for me, it, I, I think the the important thing isn't the differences between them, but the differences within them. And I and I and I mm. um, mentioned this in, in the uh, introductions to them, where I, I love different genres. I I love you know th- this one's just scary, this one's heart wrenching, this one's gross, this one's romantic, um, because I I think that you can't really take somebody out of their comfort zone and force them to think or make them afraid or make them shocked. Um, unless there's a jarring effect from one story to the next. And my goal is, and this is true for all three collections, my goal is to make it feel, or I like to think of the stories as their own entity. The story's goal is to make it feel like a different person wrote each different story. So that you can't say like, there's there's one thing I'm getting the entire time. I want it to be that each story you read, you say, okay, I don't know what I'm getting into with this, but I know it's going to kind of, it might make me uncomfortable. It might make me sad. It might, it, 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 it should hopefully continue to rattle you by, by bouncing back and forth. And across each of them, I've got stories that I'm super proud of stories. I'm like, okay, I guess I got to write this to get people's attention and everything in between. And that's, that's, that's what really defines where I'm going with these short stories. More with By Fell in a moment, but I'd like to just briefly interrupt this reading to let you know about the other podcast I'm presenting that I think you'll enjoy. It's called The Writer's Mythos, a bi-weekly deep dive into horror writers both prominent and obscure from the annals of history, focusing on their lives and the inspirations behind their most macabre creations. With music by Etno Sleep Podcast's Brandon Boone and the voices of our chosen writers performed by some of the industry's best voice actors some of which you may know, The Writer's Mythos is sure to be an experience you're bound to not only remember, but be enriched by. Our first episode is out now and starts with the father of cosmic horror himself, H.P. Lovecraft. Whether you're a newbie or a die-hard cultist, we will guide you. Our next episode is our Wednesday, 30th of September, and focuses on Edgar Allan Poe. The Writer's Mythos, a production by T.J. Lee and David Cummings, starts Wednesday, 16th of September and every other Wednesday. Available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever else you may get your podcasts. Links are available in the description, should you wish to go and join the mythos. And now we lift the veil once more to continue our reading with Bifel's Disciple. Enjoy. Right, and I think like that's that, that distinction is very good because I think you know a good horror writer should be able to do um, the tragic horror, the mysterious creeping horror and the gross out like i think you you've definitely made your mark on all three um and when you started to do notes from the man in your closet what was what was the aim with that was that a collection of some of the stuff that's already out there um or did you have a particular agenda in mind it's uh, a lot of stuff that's already out there and then there's some that uh, I, I i absolutely love no sleep but it's it's got a very narrow focus so i was able to take some stories that um I really did. Um, I wanted to share, but couldn't share there, and oh, go go a little bit deeper with where I want my characters to go, and uh, throw some of those in there as well that just could never be in, on No Sleep. Um, there, there's even what, one of my most popular stories ever from No Sleep actually is one that came because there was a purge and they suspended the rules after the blackout. Um, I was like, okay, I can put up a story that. Um, that doesn't follow the rules that ended up being <laughs> my most popular right. I've ever written. Um, so uh, th- th- there's definitely some non no sleep stories in there that it's like, finally I got a chance to get these out and, and share with people. Um, right. Yeah. That, that, that story was the, uh, um, called it uh, 
what was it? It was another. It was still a ridiculous. Clip. I, I don't think the new mods are working out. I believe is when you're. No, no, that that one. That was also a, was that a purge one or was that a pre-purge one? No, no, that that one that one was not purge. That was um, I, I I definitely convinced some people that it was a legitimate complaint. That was a super meta one though. Like that's where you had the moderating team involved and people thought it was like real legit. That was that was so interesting. That was the moderating team just jumping in. That was before I was involved with any moderating. They just jumped <clears> in <throat> and stickied all their comments as a complete part of it and that that really messed with people's heads that was a lot of fun <laughs> it was so cool i thought that was the one uh, was it was it the um i i they never i never expected my child to um they told me my child would change everything that one came oh i see yeah that one that one uh absolutely like just oh my goodness well do you want to do you want to walk us through that one? Oh yeah that that's um I, I had the chance. I had released it on my subreddit before, but it wasn't traditional horror. I could never have done it on no super that um, suspending the rules, and they suspend the rules. So I thought this will be a great chance to share it. And um, we, uh, in these questions that we ask about, you know, where we come from, where we're going, all that sort of stuff, mm -hmm. I, I think a lot of it really pervades to what are we doing with our everyday lives? Yeah. Whatever you did, whatever you did with today, that cost you a day of your life. And it's easier not to think about that. And I don't have any kids of my own. I, my, my brothers both have young kids and it's it's so cool to be parts of, of their lives as as I see it change all of our family. But it it, it mm -hmm. changes it changes everybody around you. And um one of the horrifying prospects of having this kid uh, of having a hypothetical kid. Yeah, it's uh, it's the human condition to you know want to have children. Part of our you know desire have legacy, and it's it's to procreate. And obviously, um, you know, a personal personal note, I suppose. But uh, I I lost a daughter um, at the end of the second trimester, and um, and, and we we you we already spoke about this before you wrote the story, but I read it, and um, there are very few things uh, I have ever read on in, in general that you know make me cry. Um, and, and I burst into tears. I just thought it was it was small. It was to the point. It was perfect. It was just a a perfect perfect story that encapsulated from someone like you said who's never been through that, and and for someone who has, you perfectly encapsulated it. And and actually, it's it's really interesting because the first thing I resubmitted to No Sleep, which caught the moderators, I think, and I believe you read it as well as attention, was um uh to do with the mask. There is a mask that never leaves me. That story is no longer on No Sleep. I don't think I'll probably upload it again. That was like the most personal thing I'd ever written, um, which was just, you know, this idea of, and, and obviously I, I, I should know, uh, it's an embellishment of what happened. Of course it is because it's a horror story and no, I'm not going to say what actually happened in my personal life. But, you know, you're taking a very personal moment of losing a, a child in a, in a miscarriage or stillbirth and you're turning it into a horrifying concept. And it's like, how do you make something horrifying already more horrifying? And you went the opposite route, and I was so glad it was during the purge because the story is short. I I, I think anyone out there should go and read it. It is just it it will take you two minutes, and it's just a beautiful exemplary example. That's a terrible terminology, but like that's a, it's a perfect example of how important every day is, how important risks are to be taken, and how horrifying um, certain uh, I won't say consequences because that's the wrong word, but certain reactions to actions can be you know um 
and I loved it. I loved it for that reason. And you know, you you've done a lot of like very disgusting stories as well. I mean, um, you know, you did a series which was, um, you know. <laughs> And I don't know how you came up with it. I don't want to know how you came up with it, but you know the idea of a teacher getting a um, <laughs> a goddamn str- uh, like a striptease from their uh, their old student. And when you were conceptualizing that, you told me about a scene to do with um, a bladder, <laughs> and I I had to read through it and I wanted to vomit uh, all over my. I and I had to help you write it. And I, and I hated myself. I wanted to scrub myself when I when I was there. I wanted to vomit all over my desk. But it's so interesting. How on earth did you come up with that? And how guilty did you feel for coming up with it? <laughs> I'm glad you asked. Uh, not guilty at all. So what happened was that uh, they read through what I had originally had written. And somebody said, you know what? It's not horrifying enough. And uh, a lot of times people might think they got to restructure the story. But I said... I'll play ball. Uh, if you really, really want to go down this rabbit hole, uh, I don't know where these thoughts come from or where my imagination gets its inspiration, but I am more than happy to accommodate for your quest for something much more horrifying. Here you go. How much more of this do you want? So uh, I, there was a scene where there was already a, a despicable character that had met his end, a very justifiable end. Um, but I thought, okay, uh, he doesn't just die. He ends up getting, uh, I think the phrase that I used was emptied out like a Thanksgiving turkey. And that's where we got the bladder coming out, (laughs) which uh, I believe ended up (laughs) cracking like a water balloon, something like that. His nose also got cut off in that. And somebody stepped on the nose and gross stuff came out. uh, And I said, here it is. Is this (laughs) enough for you? And if it is, great, let's go ahead and post the story. And I am more than willing, more than happy to share whatever my imagination comes up with if it helps get the story across the line. And uh, I can always say there's more where that came from. I think it's interesting in the sense of, um, you know, gross out horror has its place. Um, you know, you, you know, there are people out there who actively, you know, I mean, I remember being a young lad and everyone wanted to go on bestgore.com and all that business. And, you know, there is a, there is a morbidity um to it but there's a morbid curiosity in wanting to see horrible things and read about horrible things and i think you cater to that audience very very well i mean you also got things that like i was fucking fat which is just a gross gross story and yet like you know it taps into what i think is a lot of self-loathing that people have right there are a lot of people out there who who don't like who they were and perhaps don't like who they are and and you're making you're amplifying that fear and it's interesting i am glad that you brought that story up i actually that's one of my favorite stories uh so that's a a tale about um a girl who's morbidly obese and ends up getting chained up and most of the story takes place completely in separate sensory deprivation with her dealing with her own inner demons. Um, Most of the time in horror, action, adventure, stuff like that, you got a male protagonist who is kind of seen as the hero and um, everything kind of revolves around him. The times that you do have a female lead, she's um, usually, you know, perfect, beautiful, something that um, an almost unreachable desire that a lot of people are expected to idolize you almost never see 
um, a female lead in any type of horror thriller story that doesn't fit that, or especially what we have in this case, uh, somebody who's the exact opposite of that. And there is a lot of gross out. And the purpose of that is to speak to the really visceral reaction that a lot of people have about themselves. Um, and how easy it is for people to be overlooked and have that act of overlooking somebody making them feel like they're unworthy. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So this entire story revolves around somebody who would normally be overlooked. Right, right. And it was one of the most psychological things that I've ever written in which she goes deep into what she thinks that she's capable of and really confronts how she sees herself, what she's really capable of. And throughout this disgusting description of how she's imprisoned, finds a, an inner beauty that, that, that she never would have seen that really was there the entire time. And I was really, really happy with how the story came out because I don't think that, um, I don't think that type of idea really is seen in the way that I wanted to see it in finding the most base level of a disgusting type of story to try and find a, a, a sort of inner beauty through it that, um, that I don't think it's told often enough. I think it's the most often overlooked voices that tend to be the most profound ones. It's, it, I, and I love that because there was, um, there was a, a TikTok I actually saw, I think it was like two days ago, and it was this woman who was, you know, making this really interesting commentary, humorously, obviously, about how men write women to always be conventionally attractive. Oh, you know, they, ne they never have spots. They've always got the right amount of freckles and they can eat all they want and never get fat and they're never gross. It's like, it. you, you should always want to write a character that's interesting. And yeah, I mean, you know, if you're ever thinking about having a movie, your stuff adapted, you know, there are going to be conventionally attractive characters because that is, you know, just the nature of how it is. But there's nothing wrong with having a character who has spots and maybe has like body hair and is a little bit gross in places because you know the day like most people are, are gross creatures you know um and i and i admired that and i was fucking fat i thought it was really interesting but you know you've done other things like you know for spooktober last year my wife gives the best head like like god damn you for that god damn you like just why <laughs> i read it and i was like i know what's gonna happen in this I read it. I read the whole. I read the title. I knew, and I read the whole thing. I was like, "Yep, <laughs> just like beautiful." That one was a lot of fun to write. Uh, I do have to give uh, Rebecca credit for uh, coming up with the title. I was thinking what well, could be a good clickbait title. I was going to get people to pay attention to it, um, and I showed the story to her before I posted it, and she said, "Well, you got to call it." My wife gives the best head, and I realized <laughs> that was the name of the title the whole time. I'd even realize it. Yes, that is that is perfect. And um, it, it she she literally is perfect for you though because only 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 like your ideal partner who is also a phenomenal writer could come up and go hey you got this story about like you know decapitated head and blowjobs hmm my wife gives the best head I have nothing else to say marry that woman and then that was one hundred percent her and it, it it really is um I don't know how how else to say it, it it's perfect and gross at the same time. So what you're saying is you don't want to be remembered for I smell everyone. Oh, for the love of God. No, that's not the story that I want to be remembered for. So that story came up um, when I was really fortunate to see the No Sleep podcast finish their nationwide tour in L.A. on Halloween last year. And I was so excited to go and 
meet the cast and crew after the show was done. And uh, I saw, you know, I, I saw each of them and um, I, I saw Jessica McAvoy, I saw Brandon Boone and I, and I said, you know, I'm a huge fan. I'm so excited to meet you guys. You guys did one of my stories. It's called I Smelled Every One. And independently, both <laughs> Jessica McAvoy and Brandon Boone instantly said, oh, you're that guy. <laughs> so there have been plenty of stories that I've poured my heart and soul into. And uh, then there's stories that I haven't. And I really hope that I, I, I am remembered for something more than a random story about a creepy man who lives in a mall. That, by the way, Peter Lewis is the only person who could have brought that to life and he did it brilliantly. And uh, it, it, I don't know what else to say other than I think I wrote that story for his voice before I knew it. And he, he really is just, he did a masterful job of it. And I was so excited to hear his narration of it, man. I'm so happy with his uh, new thing he's doing. Um, the noir, the noir series. He'll hopefully hear this. So, you know, Peter, um, if you have some free time, uh i would love a dramatic adaptation of i smell everyone um i will i will i will sponsor it on this show we can make this happen peter just 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 you know humor me on this one i i i love that story man i thought it was so funny i thought it was so good and and he his performance was excellent yeah it was a lot of fun to write that it was actually part of a bigger collaboration i think it was aaron lillis that spearheaded it where the goal was to have a bunch of creepy things that happened in a mall and have kind of these little nods to all these other stories. So I said, okay, you want a creepy situation in a creepy mall? How about a creepy man who lives in the creepy mall and does all kinds of weird, creepy things that mm, I really don't want to be remembered for? But it was a lot of fun at the time to write it. Do you know what I always remember you for, though, Pat? It's that you you created two of, two of the most memorable words to end any No Sleep story ever penguin fucker okay okay i cannot take credit for coming up with those words that that dates back way in uh, no sleep history to uh, the the very um creatively rich time known as the very first purge in which anything was allowed and that that brought a previously existing issue to a head where there was a story somebody wrote called penguin fucker and You'll never guess what it was about, but the long story short, it was about a dude who fucks penguins. So this caused uh, kind of this rift because the mod said it wasn't horror and, and the writer wanted to include it. And, and it, nobody meant to be, you know, have any bad blood, but th there were some hurt feelings. And then the issue got put to bed. Then the purge came and anything went. So Penguin Fucker came back. And people reported Penguin Fucker, and then it got auto-removed. And then so the original author asked other people, well, can you report, uh, or can you post Penguin Fucker? And then those got reported, those got auto-removed, and people were saying, well, it's supposed to be the purge. You should have anything goes. And so they said, well, we got to defend this. We're going to make a subreddit called Penguin Fucker, and it's going to post the story, Penguin Fucker, there over and over again. And it ended up being this huge thing that went back and forth, and then uh, it it became one of the centerpieces of this of of the original purge where we're supposed to be this creative uh, utopia where anything could be posted and it just ended up being this this absolute torrent of garbage posts the centerpiece of which was the controversy surrounding this this uh this very provocative story so when i heard that there was going to be another purge coming back i, I immediately thought back to the previous one 
And so I wrote this story about this is the way I see it. And it was two farmers looking up and saying, ah, there's a storm coming. It's a shit storm. And thinking at the, you know, the eye of this hurricane <laughs> is going to be a penguin fucker. It was so appropriate. Well, it's just like stuff like you, you did, you, like me as an English teacher, former English teacher, like you did like, you know, you had a character go, did you know that I used to live on 1913 Elm Street? Um, and then he goes, that's a non sequitur. I made you ask that question. He shrugged. I didn't know where else to put it in. Put it in. We didn't say anything for a few moments. I'm just like, God damn it. You're, you're attacking so many writers right now. Well, thank you. I, I My goal uh, in writing any story is to affect people, to get to people. If um, if it's if it makes them laugh, if it grosses them out, if if it makes them cry, my goal is to leave people affected uh, by what I wrote. And you know what? If it uh, if if this one's a little bit irritating, then uh, that's the way it goes sometimes, I guess. Oh, it was it was so good, and and obviously you've got you know you've got quite a lot of stories out there that um you know fall under that banner of of the gross out. But I think like in addition to that. You, you have stuff like the Patricia Barnes series, um, you know, the woman who was a hitman for the dead. And I, I thought that was such a fun concept. And did, did anything in particular, like, spurn you into that world? I really did love that series. That was so much fun to write. So the protagonist of that one was a very sassy 60-something woman from Alabama who um, just basically didn't put up with any shit. And... I have no idea where that inner voice came from, um, but she just kind of waltzed into my imagination, and she just she just always had something that she wanted to say, something that um, was a comeback mm-hmm. to everything that a character brought up, and she just she just didn't put up with any shit. Um, and as it went deeper into the story. She ended up, um, we went to her past and uh, we got some depth out of uh, um, what she'd been through in ways that we couldn't really do in the very beginning. But the character developed in a way that really um, was was more than just that really fun exterior. We really saw where it came from. And I was able to tie her back into... Um, a series of different uh, different stories that I write in in this uh, greater world of narratives that I've got, and she really just kind of fit in naturally and was so real to me in a way that I I love to feel when I'm writing. Yeah, because you you've got a massive compendium for your uh, your shared universe, both alphabetized and just by like um, by the universe. And I think like that's you know you got like the Vampire Hunter series, which. Correct me if I'm wrong. It's one of the earliest series you did, right? Yeah, that was one of the really early on ones, and it was before um, I really was able to figure out what clickbait titles were the best for any given situation. You know, I just kind of uh, had a cast of characters that I really liked writing about. They didn't necessarily fit the formula for the story format either, but I had a few people that really liked it um, and were really loyal and kept on coming back to the story and. And unfolded from so many different perspectives and was um, was for me a really different way of looking at this aspect of vampires and vampire hunters. And it kind of folded naturally into this world um, that was uh, kind of just beginning that I went with it. I had fun with that. I really liked it. And um, the characters really spoke to me because they were all appealing, but all flawed. 
and that uh, that to me is what makes characters real. Stay tuned and remain seated for the conclusion of our interview with Bythel. But before we get to that final part of the reading, I want to talk to you about something that's coming up on a future episode of The Table Read, and something special that they've done that I think you should definitely check out. I'll be sitting down with Bram Stoker Award nominee, No Sleep Podcast regular, and co-creator of the Calling Doctors podcast, Gemma Amore. Speaking of the show, if you somehow haven't stumbled across it on your travels, the entire first season, written by Gemma and co-creator S.H. Cooper, is available now and stars Haunting of Hill House actress Kate Siegel as the narrator. Learn more about the show on Twitter at Calling Podcast, linked in the description below. Available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Premium, and wherever you consume your podcasts. Six voices, one book, and a demon from hell. Now, get comfortable as we rejoin the table reading with Bifel's Disciple one last time. So the stories weren't necessarily super popular, but... Maybe that was because of the title I did or didn't choose, but the characters are still really important to me. And and I saw that series to the end, even though it kind of diminished in popularity because I didn't know how to do titles. Maybe that would have made a difference, but it was important to me. The characters are important to me. Uh, well, I think this is, this is a mark of, you know, and it ties in with the mythos. You did a prison series that linked in with Lovecraft and you didn't, do a clickbait title for that you know it was please just send me back to prison nice simple easy and i know that from our conversations you're incredibly proud of that um you know and that's that's it, it was very different to what you've written since then i think and yeah, that was a story that um kind of evolved as it went on and i didn't necessarily see where it was going until i got there but it it organically built up this um Mm -hmm. this environment of uh, Lovecraft mythos. And it it, uh, it fell very naturally into that. And I liked the way that it fell naturally into that. It also gave the opportunity to, like with um, I Was Fucking Fat, it gave the opportunity to give insight into a character that probably would have been overlooked in a lot of stories that are popular because it was about a man who was in prison. And... It uh, it really kind of dived into what makes somebody innocent, what makes somebody guilty, and who's right and who's wrong and who's good and who's bad. And sometimes it's easy to dismiss somebody who dismiss somebody who might be in prison as oh, that's a bad guy. That's somebody who we're not going to root for or cheer for. But the story developed in a way that um, at at least I think turned that on its head and it's best made, made the main character a hero in a way that a lot of stories wouldn't have necessarily given him a chance. Right. Right. And, and I thought that was, you know, the idea of how, how someone develops after they've been inside, you know, with the statistics being that I believe it's your, uh, in the 60 percentile likely to reoffend something on that nature in America. Um, you know, there are more, I think like there, there are more people in jail in America than I think there are anywhere else in the world at this point. Like it's, it's a, it's a, it's a business in terms of, the way prisons are done in the United States. So like, I, I thought it was a really interesting commentary. Um, and you obviously done a few other th series here now, but the one that caught a lot of people's eyes this year was the haunted house one, the inheritance of the haunted house. And I remember looking at it and I was like, I found it interesting because you, instead of trying to invent something new, 
you went and took a very, very well-known trope and just put a really good spin on it. And it just took off. And like when you when you were like uh putting that together, did you know the full the full sort of um plot at that point, or was it a, a case of it it developed as and when the series was going on? I had no concept of the plot uh when I started. That one was a lot of fun to write because I um I wrote every part on a successive weekday. I don't usually post on weekends because mm-hmm. uh, I don't usually see the stories do as well. So the first part was on a Tuesday, and I wrote four parts that week, every weekday, and then five parts each of the next five weekdays, and then five more parts each of the next five weekdays. It ended up being 14 parts. And one of the thrills of the subreddit is not necessarily knowing, is it going to sink? Is it going to swim? So every single part was went from initial concept to final posting on 24 hour cycles. And there's nothing quite like um, knowing that readers are excited about your series. You want them to be excited about your series and you realize they're expecting Mm. the next part in four hours. And I have written nothing. I have four hours to come up with something and deliver it to them. And if they love it, they're going to, they're going to love what I have for another day. And if they don't, it's over. And it can be it can be very um, nerve wracking. But I, I I love the thrill of knowing that it's kind of always you know th- there's there's always somebody saying what's next, what's next, what's next. And it's exciting to to want to be a part of constantly um, coming up with something and being a part of a story that is evolving and living. Um, what really made it uh, easier to at least an extent for me is the protagonist is likable, but he's an idiot. He's uh, he doesn't think things through. He's uh, he, he's he's a good person, but not a very conscientious person of what's going on around him. And he's horny. He's 19 and he's he's uh, learning things in retrospect by based on what he does and doesn't blow through and overcome because he's simply just so <laughs> um, he's so 19 and bullheaded and focused on getting what he wants and not necessarily focused on what he should be focused on that he's able to overcome hauntings in a way that kind of turns the genre yeah. on its head. And there's, more of me than I would like to admit in <laughs> at least more of 19 year old me than I would love to admit in this uh-huh. character. Um, but that it, was that guiding came, me that came across like in an endearing way rather than a, Oh God, what is wrong with me? Way. Oh, very much. Um, I, I absolutely loved looking forward to the reader reactions to the haunted house series, especially every day. Um, and I think that, uh, the, the character hit this great, spot of people loved to hate loving him so he would go and he would do these ridiculously stupid things like okay i'm gonna i'm gonna there was a list of rules involved and he would say i'm gonna read the list of rules then he get a text and they think oh i'm gonna have sex and then he would get distracted for four parts and not get back <laughs> to the list of rules and you could see the frustration of readers as they would come back and say come on you idiot you, you got to get with the program right here you have a list of rules right in front of you why why are you like this uh, i think that it was summed up possibly the best in at the mm. end of one of the parts that had gone well for the main character the number one upvoted comment was 
Congratulations, you stupid son of a bitch. And that, to me, encapsulated everything about how people saw him. Like, thank you, you won. And for the love of God, I really want to smack you. <laughs> well, like, that, you, instead of grossing them out, you're making them angry. Like, you, I think you really thrive off of fan interaction. I think that's very clear in your work. Ultimately, I really do love flawed heroes because that that's who mm. we relate to. Um, and it, it's just a lot of fun to exploit the flaws. And whether or not it, it's funny or profound or sad or gross, the most overlooked voices are the ones that are often the most meaningful and the ones that we really do need to spend the most time listening to. That is a hell of a quote. You know what I, I yeah, I think the ones that we don't hear often are the ones that are the quietest. You know, the the leaders in the uh in the in the stories are the ones that always seem to drive the you know the narrative for, which is necessary. But there's a lot of like really interesting stories and opinions that we don't hear. So I, I love that. Um so before we before we reach the end point, we've got one more thing to kind of cover, and that's obviously, you know, you've been on the No Sleep podcast featured three times now. And uh, I would encourage anyone to go and check those out. Uh, Twisted Damnation, uh, Season 12, Episode 11. Uh, I Smelled Everyone, Season 13, Episode 3. And Bloody Mary from Suddenly Shocking, Volume 7. And how did that feel, like, achieving that next state uh, of, of being, a, like, a, an amateur to pro writer where you're now getting recognized by the, you know, the largest sort of horror podcast? Oh, it was just amazing. Um, that That really is what drives i think every writer is to create something that is external to them it, that has a life of its own so when i heard the performances mm. of the best horror podcast out there taking a story that had started with me and then breathing a type of life into it that could only be done if more than one person had influenced it and interacted with it and been part of it it, it made it real in a way that was more than something I could have done on my own. As far as having my work seen at that level, which is just so exciting, um, I was reminded of a Stephen King quote where he's talking about what it means to be a successful writer. And his exact quote was, if you wrote something for which you were sent a check, if you cashed the check and it didn't bounce, if you paid the light bill with that money, I consider you talented. It's very true. It's very powerful that. But it's like, you know, when we when we look at like what is a professional writer, like to me, if you've been paid for your work, whether that's a YouTuber who's put it onto a channel, whether that's a small online publication, a podcast hiring you, I think that's it. You you are now on your way to being a professional writer. Because someone has taken your work and said, you know what, this is monetary value and it would be beneficial to my audience. And they've, you know, they've paid it might not seem glamorous, but the first thing I did with that uh, with that money was I paid the light bill because I had read that quote years earlier, and it stuck with me. And uh, I wanted that part to be real. Yeah, I think the greatest joy in in writing is that there you know there are a lot of people who don't care about making money out of it, and that's absolutely fine. There are people who are very happy to get a small YouTube stipend, and I think that's valid. But it's it's such a joy when you start to make you know, quantifiable money out of it. And, you know, when you yourself have had a lot of work that's been published, um, some self-published and otherwise, when you've been on the No Sleep podcast, when you've had YouTube narrations, you're really kind of getting all over. That's That's got to feel good as well from a monetary standpoint and from a recognition standpoint. Absolutely. I mean, 
I spent most of my life imagining that one day I would have people reading my stuff, maybe even have, um, have something that gets published in a book. The, the idea that it's expanding and I want to just keep seeing where it can go is, is a thrill that I never thought I would have. Um, so yeah, it's great to, it's great to have something that you see a paycheck coming for. And I would like to get to a place where it can hopefully get to the next level. But for, for right now, just being able to do that and have that sense of validation is so far beyond where I ever thought I would be. Um, there, there's no words to describe it really. It's, it's just awesome. It's just great. It's just a great feeling. Yeah, absolutely. What is, um, you know, COVID's put a, a stop to a lot of people's plans, you know, undoubtedly. But when we look to the next year, uh, for you as a writer, what are some things that either you have planned you could let us in on, or what are some things that maybe you want to do next year? I am focused mostly on what can I challenge myself to do in terms of putting books out on Amazon? Because we live in such an amazing time that um, even with COVID shutting things down, anybody that wants to through nothing other than um, drive and willpower can get a book up on Amazon, can have it published, can have it in their hands, can have um, advertising going for it. Um, that's what I want to do. I want to challenge myself to see how far can I take that within the next year. Um, I've got um, this short story collection coming out in a couple weeks. I've got most of the next short story collection lined up. Um, it's a process to get everything together. I'm going to put the um, the Haunted House series that we talked about earlier. I'm going to put that into a book and put that on Amazon. Um it's just so exciting and fun to, to be able to see my work in print. And if I can, if I can do that, if I can get um, a few books out every year, mm. I just want to take that and run with it. Cause, cause earlier this year we had the discarded come out, the hospital series came out um, and it'll be a year on October since the first short story collection came out. So getting these next ones out in the next few months is um, it's an exciting pace. And I, and I really just want to keep that up. I don't blame you. It's 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 incredible. And um, if you if you were going to choose any of your existing work in the last twelve months, um, perhaps single part stories to go on the No Sleep podcast, what would you love to see adapted the most? The ones that really affected me the most, I think, were the ones that went into uh kind of a darker place, a, a harder place. Mm-hmm. Um, we talked a little bit about um the one where the man's com- contemplating suicide. Yeah. And where he goes to to find redemption in that. Um, a couple months ago, uh, I did one where um, the, the, the narrator is dealing with a heroin addiction. Um, I think we talked on that briefly and mm-hmm. how he sees his life spiral, spiraling out of control and what little control he does have and how that kind of overwhelms him. I was really happy with the way that it came together. And um, I was able to talk with a couple of people who have dealt with uh, that level of addiction themselves to try and not just be accurate and authentic, but to say society puts you on the margin. Society says that because you are this type of person, you're the, Mm. you're the ones that we've got to get rid of. And it's so important to me to say, you're the voice that needs to be at the forefront right now, because yours is the one that needs to come shining through in this story. I don't care what every what anyone else might say. Right now, your voice is real, and I want that to be what we're hearing. And so, those two stories come to mind. Um, 
as the two of the most that were that were the most meaningful to me in the past few months. Um, I don't necessarily know if they got as much attention as the the haunted house one, um, with, mm-hmm. which was a lot of fun, but but those were the more meaningful ones. It's it's definitely like hearing what happens when a body falls off a building. I would love to have that adapted. I think gee, and, uh, Peter Joseph Lewis would be such a good addition. Like him and David, I think, could do some really magical things with that piece. Um, I think they're just perfect additions to that that already uncomfortable tale. That's just me fantasy booking here, obviously, but uh, such a such a good addition there. And um, a lot of the people listening here are going to be people from your own subreddit who have watched your work for a long time and perhaps are writers themselves. And I think they're probably going to be curious about how to get to where you are in terms of, you know, in their perception, you are, you know, and, and quite rightly are one of the most like prominent existing horror writers on No Sleep. You know, what is your advice to them from a writer's perspective? You got to love the process. Um, I think mm-hmm. a lot of people get burnt out because everybody's kind of a story that crashes and burns. It's just, it's that there's, there's two types of people. There's types of people, there's, um, people who have written bad stories and there's people who haven't written. And I think a lot of burnout comes from when a person says, I worked, I worked, I worked so hard in the story and it crashed and burned. Um, and yeah, that, that sucks. Yes, it does. But if it's not work, if it's if it's if if the process is what's bringing the joy, um, which is so easy to lose sight of in a competitive place like No Sleep, where there's a ranking, there's a hierarchy, there's a quantifiable number of upvotes, um, it's very very easy to lose sight of that. And I think not losing sight of that and cheering on other people if they if their story beats yours and saying hey i loved it and yours deserve to be the top spot of the day or the month and not having that drain your spirit is what it takes because since uh september 2017 i said i want to write at least one no sleep story a week as long as i'm not working myself as long as it's not painful it's it's not a marathon it's not a challenge it's it's something that i love doing I think that's the thing. You, you've got to enjoy the process. Like every single one of us, um, at least in my opinion, like every single one of us has that that looming dread of like, you've always got to get work done. Always got to get work done. And I think that's both, that can either like crush you or it can motivate you. It, it's, it's both a lot of the time, but I like to, you know, let it sort of push me forward to the next best thing. And I think you're absolutely right. You got to you got to really get on with it. Like you, you have a rule where you always make sure you post at least once a week. And I think you've kept to that, barring certain like outside restrictions that are beyond your control. You've always tried to post a story once a week. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I so I uh, did track and cross country in high school and college, and a big part of that is um, being methodical with your training and discipline and. Um, that's where some of the, what I was talking about with with the quantifiable results with the upvotes that really um, kind of latches onto that part of my mind where, hey, I'm competing against you, and you know you ran you ran the 5k in 15 minutes, but I ran it in 14 minutes and 59 seconds, and I I did better, and you're gonna know I did better, and but you're gonna train harder, so I got to train even harder still, and that part is there, and I thrived on that, but and I I I still draw on that a little bit, but I know that in in a situation where it's it's not a race it's creating something it's art it's subjective that it's it's a little bit risky to to think that way too much 
Um, cause that's, you'll burn out and there's no true objective way to say what is good or what isn't. It's how it affected an individual person at an individual time in their life. And you can't necessarily say that's objectively good or bad. Right. And, and objectivity is the important thing is some people will look at your work and go, ah, oh, it's terrible. I hate it. And the natural response to that is to go, oh, well, my work is, is worthless because this person or this group of people says it's awful. That's not true. And I think it's really important to get in that mindset of, you know, if you've put your work out there, accept that people aren't going to like it, but at the same time, have faith in your, in your product, you know? And, um, I guess like my only other question really, um, cause I, I normally I ask this sort of, the, you know, earlier on, but like, who, what are some of your no sleep inspirations, like, uh, past, present, you know, who are some people that you look at and, uh, you, you're really inspired by works and what sort of works from no sleep are really, you know, inspired and potentially scared you? One of the ones that, fir- that first scared me is early on in, in the subreddit. Um, I think everybody says that the Pen Pal series creeped him out. Um, yeah. That was one of the first series I read. And uh, I remember reading it and feeling like, I know nobody's behind me, but I should just check periodically. Mm. Just to be sure. <laughs> yeah. I'm alone at home, but it's good to double check. You never know. You never know. Yeah. That, um, that, that definitely um, creeped me out early on. Um, I, I lurked a lot before um, around 2016. Um, IIA, he was the master of gross-out horror. I definitely um, loved a lot of the stuff that he did. Um, Easy Misery and Rona Vassilar, um, they and um, CM Scandrith or um, Caitlin Spice, she's... she's Oh, she's incredible, man. The Seaside British pub is just so good. Uh, yeah, th- she um, she was one of the people that I read most frequently when I was still just a reader, hadn't even created an account. And um, it was really inspirational to read somebody who took the craft of, of structure and grammar and storytelling and made sure that she had a polished product every single time. And it was really always a joy to read what she had. And she had these ideas that were just so weird, but, but somehow worked. Um, I, I, I loved reading that. And, um, I mean that they're so different from things like IAA or, or, um, life is strange. Me too got started right around the time that I, Mm. um, mentioned David Clark and what he did in, um, in the discarded. And, um, he, uh, I, I think he's, he's genuinely one of the most talented, um, well, writers who's, that I've seen in the subreddit. Um, what he always does is amazing. I think anybody who's yeah. heard his works on the No Sleep podcast would agree. And uh, I think it really does. Yeah, I think that um, what everybody's doing right now is a huge part of what makes No Sleep constantly changing, constantly evolving. What you've been doing with um, the series that you've been putting out recently, it's been so much fun to follow, so much fun to read. You had the story about yeah. uh, the hidden beneath the oh, stat. No. Oh no, the boss series is done. That was that was just an, an audio adaptation uh, that we put out. But the the nightmare fighting championship series is, uh, well, <laughs> hopefully be finished by um, by next week. But God knows how it's going to work. But then no, you're absolutely right. Like I, I have a series, a hotel series, which my fans have been asking me to go back to and finish, and I only dropped it for the same reason a lot of us do because it wasn't getting a lot of attention. So technically, yeah, I've, I've got another series I have to go and finish up after this. So what I really love is series that are more than just series, because if you have 
as serious and you think it's over. Beneath the static, yeah. Yeah. Somebody comes back from beneath the static and they're in your Nightmare Fighting Championship series. Then you haven't created a story yeah. or a series. You've created a world. That mm. is one of the things that I love most about Stephen King is he's not just taking you into a place that exists for the duration of a book. He's showing you mm. that a world exists beyond the book and you have different pathways to access it. And that makes it so much more real. What you've been doing with that and drawing people in on a regular basis has been doing the same thing. And it's so exciting to to watch that. Um, I think anybody who really loves yeah, um, it was creating universes loves doing that. Yeah, it was it was definitely an aim of mine. Um, I never told anyone really heavily last year because at that point I had one series and I think it's easy for a writer to promote themselves into the ground and talk the talk a lot. You know, like it's easy for anyone to go, oh, I'm going to create a sprawling universe with all these characters. And, you know, anyone's going to go, uh-huh. See how the motivation works on that. And and if I had said that when I did the bar series, it would have flopped on its face because even though the hotel was the same universe, I didn't continue it. I ended up doing a, a lot of other sort of false starts before I got to the, you know, sort of beginning, uh, well, March of this year. And from March onwards, I've really been building it. So it's a year of storytelling, but um, it didn't come with that failure. And I'm, I'm really proud of it, like to, to, you know, to be able to include... Uh, all the same characters, villains, and and new stuff, and and you know, tell this this story in a new way has been a lot of fun. But then, you know, um, I think inspiration begets more inspiration because I look at stuff that you've done with the, you know, the the St. Francis Hospital series and the body falling off the building, which we you know, the talk of the existentialism behind that. Um, you know, that I was fucking fat was really inspiring because you know, as we said earlier, it's this idea of a gross character rather than an archetype. So I think we're all inspired by each other to a degree. And beyond that, it's it. You know, St. Francis Hospital is a real place. It actually exists in Charleston, West oh, Virginia. Really? So these lines between what is real and what is not, yeah, between what's real and what's not, um, I think fiction is our way of recognizing that there's more to the world than we can explain. And so we try to explain a world that is kind of our world, but not entirely. No, absolutely not. And I think like, you know, that's, that's such a true thing. And, you know, I'm one of the things about the no seat community is, is just, um, you know, it can be very toxic at times. It can be an absolute headache, but you know, the people and the writers in it, you know, you, you know, you're sitting with people that will one day go on to some incredible things. I mean, you know, you and I have both, uh, not to name drop, but we sat there with CK, we've worked with CK and to, to see her where she is now, you know, it's a very interesting feeling. Cause you know, we have, we both have friends that, you know, several friends that have got different pitches in different places, you know, it's now no longer just this little creative writing hub where would-be writers go to, you know, bask in their egos. It's a real place where you, it's a hunting ground for producers. And that is such a unique and, I guess, daunting platform at times because you know at any given moment you could start something that you that could be picked up by um, a producer's assistant for a podcast, for a movie, your TV show, and boom, your career's done. You know, you're, you, you've made it. That's one of the really exciting things about where we are right now. The, the concept of a subreddit, the concept of a horror forum, it feels like it's been around forever because life goes so fast in internet years. But it's not that old. It's something that is still developing. It's still changing every single day. And everyone who's a reader, everyone who's a writer, everyone who's a mod is driving that change in real time. And I love being in a place where I can put a new story out on a regular basis and be right in the middle of watching this change, watching it develop, watching tropes rise and fall. And it's, it, it, it's fiction, but it's real because it affects us. It affects 
how we interact with the subreddit. It affects how we interact with each other. And that's what storytelling to me is supposed to be. It's about how we make the connection yeah, between and I think, real. I think it's just something fun about that. And that's one of the reasons that we're here today, you know, networking, meeting new people, meeting new friends, and it just blossoms into wonderful things. Pat, it has been such a pleasure to sit and talk with you. And um, wh where can people find you? Where, where's the best place to be able to check out what you're doing? The best place is to check my subreddit, R Bifles Disciple. Um, you can also check out PF McGrail on Facebook. It's where I let people know whenever I got a new story out. Um, when you get to my subreddit, Bifles Disciple, you can sign up for my email list and that um, will alert everybody for when there's a new publication out. But the subreddit is a lot of fun because my stories are there, but I love interacting with people. I get feedback for what my titles should be, for what the covers should be. I, I want the people who um, are the ones mm. making me go out and write every day to be a, a big part of, of what um, what I'm making and what I want to put my name behind. And I, I just want as many people as possible to be out there with mm -hmm. me um, seeing these books that I want to write, seeing these stories that I want to create come to life. It's a community, and that's what I try and do with mine, so I completely appreciate that. Um, that's that's awesome, man. Thank you so much. And um, any any closing quotes, any, any closing advice for anyone out there? The quote that comes to mind is one that comes from a oh, Facebook page, 20 Books to 50K, that talks about how we support each other. The quote is, a rising tide lifts all boats. The important thing is the success of one person in an indie riding community has to be everyone's success. If we were to see each other as competing or one person taking away from another, or even within the subreddit, it can be very um, tempting to think I have to be, you know, at the top of the list, or I've got to get so many upvotes. But if you can look at the people who take your spot at the top or who beat you out for, for um, the number of upvotes that you wanted or who get that deal or that agreement or that podcast and say, I'm happy that this person, I'm really happy that this person who wrote a story I loved got recognition. That makes it so that it, it it's not a miserable thing. Falling short of your goal doesn't have to be a failure because it means somebody else got something that was real that they've been working so hard for. And that makes the chance for any other given person to get that podcast deal, get that book deal, get that story out that they've always wanted to get out that much more real. That's the way to see it. That's my advice. Love being part of it. Love writing. Look forward to sharing your story, sharing your work, because if a rising tide lifts all boats, if we all support each other, then it's never going to be work and it, it isn't miserable. And it's something we can keep looking forward to and something that I'm going to want to keep doing for years. That is that uh, man. I can't even follow that. That is uh, fantastic. Thank you so much. And you know what I've, I've got, uh, I've actually got, no, I've got two words to close this, this wonderful show out. And those are the two most powerful words that have been spoken in the last one hour, 40 minutes. And those words are penguin fucker. Thank you everybody. <laughs> I hope you've enjoyed this week's table read. Our guest was P.F. McGrail, a.k.a. Bifel's Disciple, and you can find his subreddit as well as the upcoming novel, Notes from the Man in Your Closet, linked in the description below. We also encourage you to check out the episodes Bifel's work has featured on the No Sleep Podcast. Bloody Mary is a Bitch from Suddenly Shocking Volume 1, Twisted Damnation from Season 12, Episode 11, and of course, 
I Smelled Everyone, from Season 13, Episode 3. Theme music by Brandon Boone. Follow Brandon on Twitter at Wondrous Sound. Questions? Interview suggestions? Check us out on Twitter at The Table Read Pod for trivia and upcoming information on our next guests to step up for a table reading. Special thanks to Olivia White. Without her, none of this would be possible. This show was hosted and created by me, TJ Lee, and produced by David Cummings and TJ Lee in partnership with the No Sleep Podcast, the award-winning premier audio horror experience releasing every Sunday. You can follow me on Twitter at TJ Lee, or if you want to see some of my work, check out tjlee.com or my subreddit r slash tjlee, where I tend to frequent. I have another show providing bi-weekly deep dives into the biggest writers of days gone by and the legends of today. Our inaugural episode focused on the father of cosmic horror, H.P. Lovecraft, is out now. Find more by following us on Twitter at Writer's Mythos. We're sure you'll enjoy what we have on offer. The Writer's Mythos, every other Wednesday on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This audio production is copyright 2020 by Creative Reason Media Incorporated. All rights reserved. No duplication or reproduction of this audio program is permitted without the written consent of Creative Reason Media Incorporated. And with that, the reading is over and the veil is closed for now. But we'll be back next week with a new guest, new frightful secrets to be unearthed, and someone fresh will step up for a table read. Who knows what we'll find out. <laughs>